This is an animal that is essential to the survival, not only of humans, but of all species. And we are treating this animal with lots of so-called care, but our care is like making it dependent of humans and making it sick. And then also genetically, we are going to make races that are Gentile, that do not sting you, that produce a lot of honey. And what you get in the end is not a bee anymore. And it doesn't have the power to resist new illnesses Mm. and not the power to resist new predators. Stick Your Neck Out, the weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Welcome to Stick Your Neck Out. This week, I'm your host, Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona. The Giraffe Heroes Foundation has engaged for climate adaptation and the regeneration of a healthy environment. We started a crowdfunding campaign the Giraffe Heroes Fighting for Climate Adaptation. This campaign shall be the first in a series of events through which a wider audience shall be brought into the fold of a growing movement for a healthier, more resilient environment. Six personalities from Switzerland, Belgium and Spain join hands for a common cause, ecology and climate adaptation. An initiative to save the bees, to save the trees and our environment. With you, we want to support their fight and amplify their impact. One of these six people is sitting now in front of me, Giraffe Hero Dimi Dumotier. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. You are a filmmaker who managed to produce your film with funds from the crowd. You started a campaign to produce your film Not Your Bee, and the people made it possible for you to do it. What is Not Your Bee about? It's mainly about who do insects belong to. It's uh, about having an environment and humans gradually uh, taking over the environment and leaving less and less space for animals, in this case for bees. And the interesting thing with bees is because they're honeybees, we tend to see them as cattle And in Europe, there has been uh, a great population of wild honeybees. In I mean, we're talking about 1,000, 2,000 years ago. But then the bee was kind of catalyzed or domesticated. And, and now all the honeybees are domesticated and there's no more wild honeybee left. And when I was in Asia a few years ago, I saw that the relationship of the beekeepers with bees was completely different in Asia. They were cooperating and they didn't lose their wild status. And I was interested in, okay, how is that in Europe? Do we still have these uh, wild bees or are people trying to find out about it. And that's when I started researching and I found five, six, then seven, then eight people who were working with honeybees without uh, being interested in honey. And Not Your Bee is a film following these people who don't know each other and each in his or her fashion works, cooperates with honeybees and is trying to 
make the rewilding of honeybees possible. So you think like if the people see your film, they are going to be able to, to rethink their relationship to the bees? Well, there have been quite some films about bees. So I think that part of the, the preliminary work has already been done. Films like, yeah, there's Honeyland right now, but there, there have been More Than Honey, for instance, was a movie that really hit the high public. And people started thinking of bees not as those dangerous, stingy animals, uh, but as very important Uh, for the planet. It even had this quote of Albert Einstein on the cover of that movie saying that when the bee dies out, then humanity has four more years to live and that's it. Yeah. Because they are so important for pollination. And I was hoping to, to get a step further than that and not having to explain all that again. So my film starts a little bit with these people. They're talking about their own projects. And since none of them is taking honey out, as the, uh, the, the spectator will not, will not have to pass through all this kind of beekeeping and all the problem with varroa mm -hmm. and all the problem with honey, etc. No, we're right into, we, from the first second, we're right into the heart of the matter now. Where are the wild bees of Europe gone. So where are they? Good question. Well, in it might be that in some forests, in remote forests, far away in Scandinavia or Poland, maybe in Romania, maybe there are some really wild bees left that have never been domesticated. But up till now, I haven't heard of them. So the thing is that they, what I believe and what these people who I film with uh, say that the races of Carnica and, and Buckfast and all these honeybees that uh, beekeepers work with, they have kind of taken over. And of course, we have a lot of wild solitary bees in Europe. These are not honeybees, they live from nectar, They, uh, you have wasps, you have hornets, you have all kind of bee-like insects. But the honeybee as such in a wild status is not uh, anymore in Europe. But um, there are glimpses that you can catch, like for instance I'm following two researchers of the University of Würzburg, who find out that there have been consistent populations of wild honeybees in the forests in Germany. And although they are not sure that these are colonies that can live there for decades, mm. they surely can survive for a couple of years. Then winter takes over and when sometimes they die. And But then this hole that they have inhabited is after one or two years is inhabited by new honeybees. Mm. Now, where do they come from? They are probably runaway or flyaway bees from, uh, from beekeepers. So they have been domesticated and are now trying to regain a wild status. And that's not easy because, you know, it's like with, uh, with a wild elephant that has been, uh, or, or an elephant that has been born into the zoo. Yes. You cannot bring it back to the jungle just mm. like that. It needs to, it, it lacks skills. And, yeah, definitely. And, And so these bees are not really fit to the forest mm. anymore. And 
it makes sense because we hardly have any forest left in, in Europe. Uh, so why do we need forest bees? But if you turn it around and you, you put the question like this, do we need forests in Europe? Yes, more than ever. Definitely. And why do we need forests? Is because we see that spaces like the Amazon forest, etc., are vanishing in Africa. A lot of rainforest is disappearing very quickly. And you can say like, oh yeah, let's do a petition on that and try to do a crowdfunding for that. But the only real issue for us Europeans is we should reinstall our own forest. Here is where we have power over. This is what we really can do. Mm. Who am I to go and tell Bolsonaro in Brazil that he must not cut his, no, no, uh, his, his uh, Amazon forest? I mean, we did it decades, uh, hundred years ago. We cut our forest. Now it's on our responsibility to mm. put it back. And then if you have the forest, you must have a healthy forest. And what is a healthy forest? A healthy forest is with healthy animals inside. And so... I think that the, the real idea behind my movie is men are taking too much space. And we need, like in Laos, for instance, like I saw when I was in Asia, we need like kind of sacred spaces where these animals can live and, 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 and do their thing. So that's, that's uh, the, the idea behind Not Your Bee. It's, it's about bees, but it's also about trees. It's about our own whole environment. Why not your bee? Well, not your bee, because man has a kind of possessive attitude towards nature. And it has become very normal. Like people, when, when you talk about When you talk to a farmer about wild cows, he will look at you as if you come from Mars. Because wild cows, yeah, where, where can you find them? Probably in some steppe in Africa. You, you can still find wild cows, but still cow has been domesticated. And now we have a lot of problems with cows, like diseases, and we are treating them with antibiotics. And that's exactly what, what beekeepers are doing. They are saying, if we don't cure, if we don't put uh, these uh, products on, on our bees, they will die. If we don't treat them with this, if we don't treat them with that, we have to feed them, we have to... And so they make it sound as if they are caring for mm -hmm. the bees. And they for do, their they, bees, actually. They are caring yeah. for their bees, <laughs> but actually they are caring for their honey. Yeah. Yeah. And the production of honey with beekeepers has quadrupled in a couple of decades. Mm. Uh, in, in past days, it was okay to have five kilo of honey a year, and now it's 25. If you don't have 25, you're a bad beekeeper. In Laos, people don't take out 25 kilo of, out of a beehive. Mm. They are very happy with three or four kilo. Yeah, and, and even that is to be discussed, like what is our right to that honey? Hmm. I mean, it's okay to occasionally take some honey, but if you are using them as cattle, whereas this animal is so very important for the pollination of the planet, now we're not only talking about honeybees, also the solitary bees are, and, and even mosquitoes do pollinate, but then the next thing will be, let's kill all the mosquitoes. Yeah. So maybe yeah. my next film will be, not your mosquito. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's, it's about this, Jan Pierre, that this is an animal that is essential to the survival, not only of humans, but of all species. And 
we are treating this animal with lots of so-called care, but our care is like making it dependent of humans and making it sick. And then also genetically, we are going to make races that are Gentile, that do not sting you, that produce a lot of honey. And what you get in the end is like a fly, you know, it doesn't sting. Yeah. It, it's it not has a bee anymore. It's not a bee anymore. And it doesn't have the power to resist new illnesses mm. and not the power to resist new predators. So you are being part of the new campaign from the Giraffe Heroes Foundation, the Bees and Trees Initiative, Giraffes Fighting for Climate Adaptation. Why are you supporting this campaign? Why are, why are you part of this campaign? Well, for a couple of reasons. But first, I saw how successful a crowdfunding can be. And... Secondly, I saw how successful a crowdfunding together with the Giraffe Heroes can be because when I did it last year, I could have not managed my goal if it was not for Tom and the whole crew of the Giraffe Heroes and you too, Jan-Pierre. You all helped me to reach that amount. And now my film, is it ready? It's almost ready. I'm, I'm at... I think I filmed like 80-85% of the material and I'm, I'm already editing. But then in the spring, in late spring of 2021, I will have, okay, a fantastic movie mm. and, then, and, then? and then people have to see it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But nobody ordered me to do it. Nobody's really waiting, no, no TV producer, no... Cinemas are waiting for this movie. So you have to bring your movie to the audience. Mm. And how do you do that? You, you have to go to festivals. Now, every time you try to apply, you do an entry with your film for a festival, you pay an amount because they have to watch your movie and that is time that they are putting into it. So they ask a sum. Sometimes that's 15 euro, but more often it's 30 euro. Mm. But if you really want it to be in a, in a high-rank uh, festival, you often pay 100, 150 euro just for these people to even to watch your film. It doesn't even mean that they're going to select it. That's why you have to do many entries in many festivals in the mm. hope that one or two pick you out. Okay. And that is a, a costly process. Mm. Uh, that can cost easily 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 euro. And uh, so that's why when Tom asked me to be part of this, uh, uh, this team, I uh, didn't have to think twice. These are difficult times. Uh, corona will not make it easy because I, I'm afraid that people might just be a bit reluctant to pay. They don't know what tomorrow will bring. But on the other hand, okay, this climate thing that's coming it will be much more of a challenge than COVID. And it's coming. And my I mean, film, it was it was already there, but just after COVID, it was like the, yeah, yeah. the people just lose lose the interest about this topic, this climate change yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. And then it was everything COVID, COVID, COVID. And right now, it's like it's going to come again. It has to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's what well, you there. I saw a car cartoon, and everybody's looking at the first wave and the second wave. And focusing on that, but then the cartoon got bigger, and then you had this enormous wave coming, <laughs> which is the climate crisis. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, it's not only about the, the 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 planet warming up; it's much more essential than that. It is actually the idea that in 
within 20 years, this planet will be concrete. It will be concrete and the whole, even the oxygen that is produced, they, they, they have, scientists are now predicting that in 10 years time, the Amazon forest will not be giving oxygen, it will be consuming oxygen. Mm. Can you imagine? Mm. So that's, that's, that's the lung of the planet. And you can, you can talk about, you know, having that cured, but it's much more easy to, to tend your own garden. And so that's why I really want to ask people to, to fund this, uh, this uh, Giraffe Heroes for Climate and Ecology because the people here are, they are really making uh, a difference. People like Andre, like yeah. Hendrik, people like Costco, they are really working in the field. Chris also with education. So they are on, on, on all the fields. And me with trying to, uh, to make a film that... Because if we are talking honey or bees, we are always... Even that beautiful film Honeyland, which is maybe one mm, of the most beautiful, beautiful films mm. that I ever saw, mm. its topic is mostly on... It's still about honey, actually. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's not about ecology yet. And that's what I, I want people really to realize, is that, you know... Every living thing is part of the system. And if you take one out because you say it's mine and I can do with it what I want, then you are, you are creating a disaster. And that's what's going to happen. Yeah. At the end of the day, I have to think, like when you were talking about this concrete in the world, I was thinking about this, this song from Bob Marley, Concrete Jungle, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like really a messy chaos. Dimit, you have many talents, my friend. You are an artist, filmmaker, musician, but you are also a social worker. You were working with juveniles convicts for Belgian not-profit organization ALBA mm. 15 years, and that's uh, a lot. How did you help these people? Well, that was, for me, that was the biggest eye-opener in my life because I come from a kind of... My family... I never had financial problems or social issues. And uh, so I was raised with the love and the warmth of a caring family. And suddenly I realized that there's lots and lots and lots of young people in Belgium, which is said to be a rich country, who are in jail because their parents did not look after them like my parents did. And what we did, we we got to the 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 juvenile jails or the well, you cannot call it jail but but it's behind closed doors mm. so it is and we we proposed these young people uh, to regain their freedom and we we did long hikes through Europe uh, three times i went with two kids like like 16 17 euros old kids with a backpack and we walked from belgium to spain oh. we walked from romania to to belgium in one row, in like four months in a row. And for me, that was like... At Alba, I found a family that I didn't know I was missing. Because all the people there, they're, they're, the way they were looking at people, but also at nature and ecology, is, was like very new to me. And I had done... I'm an artist. I'm formed as a, as a painter. But I started realizing that, you know... The real challenge is in nature and in doing things with trees, with, with grass, with flowers. With, and that's, that's the artists of tomorrow. That's the people who uh, really stick their neck out to make the change 
to turn the change because we are going to that concrete jungle, like you say. And so that was Alba. But then afterwards, I started filming. I started making music a little. And, and after 15 years, I, I thought I had seen that, you know. And uh, I did some jobs here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, worked also in Molenbeek in uh, what Trump calls uh, Belgium's hellhole, <laughs> uh, where all terrorists are uh, being bred and... And now for a few years, I've been working with kids and their parents. And these kids, they feel like they don't belong to the family anymore. So mm. they sometimes are thinking of uh, committing suicide. And we're talking about even kids that are 11, 12 years old, sometimes who have tried to take their life, their own life. And that's why I think that, you know, when you do that kind of job and you try to bring them back together in unison with their parents and their brain waves and the, and the mm. love waves of the family a little bit more in unison, in unison. That's what we try to do. But there's a whole other part, and that is the society part. Because these kids, they are not so much into trouble with their parents. They are in, in deep conflict with society. They see no role for them. And with COVID, it's even more, you know, like sit in the class with a mask for five hours. Don't touch your friend. Don't, don't do this. Don't, don't. It already was a society of don'ts for yeah. children. Don't go out. Mm. A tree is dangerous. Yeah, don't go up. Don't climb a tree. Yes. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and I used to climb the trees and I just really enjoyed that. And working in Germany a couple of years ago, I was working also with a, with a group of kids. And one time they were like really, really tired. And I just like, I was like, you know, you have to go out, just go and climb a tree. That was my, my advice. And they just stare at me and look at me like, what are you saying? They'd never climb a tree in their life. And I was like, I mean, I didn't know how to react, you know, because for me, it's like, no, my yeah, yeah. kids climb. Yeah, yeah. You know? it, it's even, they have the law on their side. These, yeah. these, the parents pro prohibit them to go on the street and do whatever. And the law says, yeah, it, it's dangerous. And now with COVID, even <laughs> stay in the homes, stay in the homes. Now, uh, water, for instance, is, is one thing like that. In, in My daddy used to swim in the canals. Mm. And no. even he swam in, in, in the Schelder, which is a kind of very polluted uh, river uh, yeah. that's uh, flowing through Antwerp. Uh, nowadays, you, it would be impossible to do this. It, people would immediately call the police. And, and okay. I, I spent a holiday cycling in Holland, and there I saw that the kids sw still swim in canals. And But it's just, you know, the way society looks at it. Mm. In Belgium, it's not possible. And you, you, you go 30 kilometers further north and you see that with the heat wave, mm. it, was, it was fantastic to see these kids swim and, 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 and enjoy life. Yeah. Being in nature is Being like really nature. important. Being in nature, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really important. Yeah. How do you counsel, uh, do this counseling for youth? I mean, you're, you're doing this counseling for um, youth and adults. How do you approach those people who feel so bad they want to commit suicide? How do you manage them? Well, actually what we do is we, we do not treat them or approach them. We bring them together with family. So what, we, what you often see when kids are 
going towards psychiatric clinics because they have tried to commit suicide is that one or two parents are shielded off of their kid because the kid is blaming the parents for a lot. And what we always try to do is to turn that around and try to bring them together back and try to talk and to listen to each other. So we do circles. We bring uh, parents and their kids together and nobody is forced to talk. But we do ask to listen. Now, we even use rituals, like we use candles that are in the middle on the ground. Uh, we talk about when we light the candles, we say that the circle is open and that it's, it's a... I encourage the people to see it as a moment, uh, to live in the now of this moment, that as long as these candles are burning they have a certain duty to say things to each other from the heart, not mm. to hide things. And then we try to them to talk in openness and with a lot of love to each other. And we have techniques for that. We, I can hear it when, when hatred is uh, seeping through the words and I can stop it. And we, we make, we have these people talk together. Actually, we don't do so much ourselves. And also, these people are in charge of... Uh, it's them who can ask a second or a third or a fourth circle. It's not us who decide it. So they can really... They have the feeling that, oh, this is really we who are at the steering wheel of this process. And uh, so that's, that's what we, we do with what we call the open heart circles. And I'm not saying that we are able to stop every child of having uh, suicidal thoughts. But a lot of these thoughts uh, are, are being... When you, when you share the thoughts and you have even these very, very dark topics that you can share with your parents and even with your little brother, because that's what often happens. They shield off the rest of the family mm. and nobody dares to talk about it mm. because it's like a taboo. Mm. And we take away the taboo. And we see the family as the place where you can cure that, not the clinic. Yeah. So um, that was kind of the same thing, or not the same thing, but it was kind of similar what you were doing with these youngsters in prison, um, with this hiking. I mean, you were hiking with them and you were listening and talking to them? Yes, and trying not to be an educator. I was trying to be a friend, and the difference was then that it was a one-one relationship, and after 15 years, I had the feeling that the parents were sometimes left out because their kid did something extraordinary, and then the parents did not. And, and so that, that's why I feel much more at ease doing the job that I'm doing now, because I feel I am connecting people. Mm. And the, with those hikes, I was connecting these uh, youngsters to me okay. and, and to mm. nature mm. also. And of, co of course, this is also a duty that you take for the rest of your life. Whenever these kids, they have my, still have my uh, cell phone number, they can call me uh, even 20 years after. The, and, and I sometimes see them and then uh, we talk about life and... It's not that, that I've taken over the role of their daddy, but uh, yeah, it's, it's an engagement that you, that you go 
for life. Yeah, you are. I mean, you are an important person for these for these yes, people. But yes, yes. I mean, I have the feeling you are constantly on moving and 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 doing things here and there. You were like with your friend uh, Rick Messi. Um, you heard rumors that Italy would stop. Um, it's Mare Nostrum rescue operation, mm, yeah. and then you started something with pirates. Mm. What was this about? Well, this was actually Rick's idea, and I was more into the executing phase. Uh, but Rick is very charismatic, and the idea was to uh, to have people from uh, the closed as as asylums in in Belgium, like the the refugee uh, asylums that we have. I'm, uh, I'm talking, the, the word asylum is not correct. It's like the, the camps uh, yeah. where they stayed. And Rick had worked in that sector and he knew a couple of these families and, and individuals. And we brought them all together and we did like a, a nightly action. We It was like a guerrilla action with uh, fake coffins. Mm -hmm. uh, and we did like a, of a reenactment of... Uh, A funeral that happened in Sicily in uh, in in that year, and we're talking about well, I don't know the exact year. Was it uh, 2014? And so we had these coffins placed at night on the beach of Ostend, and when when the sun rose over over Ostend, then suddenly yeah, there were like uh, what was it like 16 or 17 coffins on the beach, and and. The news, we, we were all over the news that day, mm. the, the national news and, and, uh, and also in the newspapers. And, and we, but for us, that was the slipstream to bring our documentary because we had interviewed all these people with the question of uh, how did they survive the trip over the Mediterranean? Mm. And, and what were not the reasons why you had to do this, but mostly what... Why did you came to play the risk and to risk your life? That was the documentary uh, uh, Pozzalo Pirates, which is still, you can see it on YouTube. It's, uh, I think, uh, Ostend Pirates, I think it's called. It's, uh, it's on YouTube with English uh, mm, subtitles. Okay. Pozzalo Pirates. Yeah, do you had like 18 coffins there. What were these 18 coffins symbolizing? What was the meaning of it? It was, Rick had seen a picture of 18 coffins of 18 people who had tried to, from Africa, to reach the, the, the coast of Europe and had been drowned. And they had, their bodies had been put in these coffins and they were buried in Sicily. And, and actually these empty coffins bore their names. So Rick had found the exact names of those people who were buried and they were kind of reburied, but in a, in a press action, in a, in a guerrilla action. Mm. With all these sad stories you listen and, and you, you, you know, you keep being a really happy guy. I have the feeling that you are a happy guy. I mean, I've, I've met you like a couple of times and you're always like bringing this joyness. How do you manage to stay so optimistic? Well, that's my genes, I think. I don't know. I, uh, I feel that... Okay, you only live once and you live the life that you live. And I'm trying to... I put being happy on the first place. And honestly, I envy those people who are able to really fight. I don't see myself as a guerrilla hero like 
other giraffes are because you know I like it's not that I like my comfort because I can miss a lot of my comfort I'd be happy with a tent and a, and a bicycle and spend the rest of my days uh, traveling with uh, just a, a gas stove and uh, nothing mm. I, I, I don't I don't need a lot to be happy, but what brings joy to my life is singing. Uh, I need a guitar and, and, and I need to sing. I need art around mm. me. I need friends around me. I have no children. Uh, I have a fantastic wife, but I need friends ar uh, around me also. And whenever I meet people, the social thing comes on the first place and bringing a message like ecological message actually for me it comes on the second place because first you have to make contact and and be real and be yeah like to establish a relationship and in that relationship you can bring a message i find it a very difficult question that you ask <laughs> because because being happy is just who i am now does that mean that Depression can never hit me. No, I mean, I, I had a mother who was uh, struggling with depression, so it's probably my genes as well. Mm. Only it has not come after me up till now, and I fear the day that it might, but I enjoy every day that it don't. <laughs> that was Giraffe Hero's Timmy Dumotier. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jan Pierre, for this interview. Timmy Dumotier, Rotzella. Belgium. Activist, artist, actor, filmmaker. Dimi has produced extraordinary documentaries on shoestring budgets. His present project is the film Nadia B, following his previous B documentary about the issue with the wild bee that keep us. With our help, Dimi will be able to document the work of this movement, Keka, Giraffe for Ecology and Climate Adaptation, and promote his documentary Nadia B. We are inviting you to come on board, be part of the struggle for the common goal to keep the planet a human affair. If you want to be part of it, go to wemakeit.com, look for our project Climate Adaptation, the Bee and Tree Initiative and have a look at the great rewards you can get while supporting us. Next week in our podcast, Tom Amatz is going to be talking to Louis de Cordier, Costco, the guy who discovered the lost labyrinth of Egypt, the giraffe hero who is going to provide the land to place the first peace and trees reservoir in Europe, high up in the Alpujarra mountains. That's it for today. You were listening to Stick Your Neck Out, the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. I am Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona. We are proud to share inspirational stories from remarkable individuals every week. Stories that come from many different places. If you like to tell us about your frontline hero, visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. You'll find the Giraffe Heroes stories every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you hear your podcast. Subscribe the podcast so you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. Join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Join us next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.